0: And welcome to Fofope. I'm Will Anderson. Back in my own fucking podcast. Charlie Clawson's doing some fofope's now. Every second week it's meant to be, and then I've had some shit on. And so Charlie did two weeks in a row. I've got a bit territorial. It's like this week, to be honest. If Charlie had said, "I'll do it again this week," I would have probably said yes. Oh, you yeah, know, my schedule's been pretty tight, and I've got a whole bunch of shit that I need to deal with. And so. I probably would have said yes, but then that would have been three weeks in a row. And I feel like I would have, you know, handed over all control of something that I spent seven years creating for no particular reason. (laughs) So, anyway, point is. (laughs) <laughs> this is a thing like regardless of what this is oh anyway i'll introduce our guest and then we can both talk about this it's a hammofop uh justin hamilton guest charlie justin hamilton is here
1: yeah you know the, the thing is is that you're also really bad with confrontation as well so if charlie had said i want to do a third week i know you would have acquiesced and said yeah all right Ah,
0: oh, somebody tweeted uh, – I wish I could attribute this tweet to the right person, but you'd be able to find it pretty – I think I retweeted it, so I might even be in my feed. But somebody tweeted yesterday that podcasts only exist because comedians are too scared to ask each other to talk. And it's, like, <laughs> so true. It's, like, man, like, nearly all the friends I made when I was in America were all because I invited them over to do a podcast. It was my version of comedian uh, Tinder, you know, I needed <laughs> – to have some new relationships, (laughs) to form some bonds with some people. And the great thing about Fofop is that I have actually conned, like, if I individually went to six of my friends and went, hey, do you want to do a regular podcast with me? They would all go, stop it. Stop saying what you're saying. You're doing too many podcasts already. Nobody needs to do all these shows. But because I just hide them all secretly, within Fofop, as if it's one show but it isn't one show right there's like all the episodes I've done with you which is like our little podcast and there's all the ones I've done with Dave or Gareth or Jen or whoever it might be the real regular guests where they all are their own individual journey so it's nice to have you back Hammo for another Hammo thank
1: you so if this is the equivalent of the Will Anderson cinematic universe uh, just like the MCU and that contains many genres. What, what genre are we in the faux-fop universe?
0: Love it. Love this question because I've actually been, <laughs> and I can talk to you about this, <laughs> and the people who listen to faux-fop. I think the people who listen to faux-fop also, by the way, I will say, get a bit more insight. I feel like this is the most intimate of all the shows. Like, so much more is revealed on this show than any of the other shows. Oh, Hank, hey, like, what? More than Philosophy. philosophy well, philosophy feels like people are revealing, big, but I think it's incidentally, like the things that people say that they wouldn't ordinarily say out loud. For most part, the things that people say on philosophy, we give them the option at the start. We say, if there's anything that you say during this, that at the end of it, just so we can have a free conversation. If there's any moment, if there's anything in there that you'd feel uncomfortable when, when it's done, then we can take it out no there's only been like one or two cases over the entire journey where i've had to take things out so that means that even when people reveal things they've never said before or moments they've never talked about before on that show at the end they get the opportunity to say i would like to take that out so it's all stuff that they're happy to have on the public record Mm -hmm. if i at the end of FOFOP had the opportunity to take shit out, I would constantly be taking (laughs) shit out of this podcast. I was like, that was a fun conversation to have, but I'm not sure that I need people to hear the amount of intimate fucking honesty that was involved in it.
1: Mate, as someone who had a mild bipolar meltdown on a classic episode from last year, I know exactly where you're coming from, because otherwise I would have been, we should edit that down to the things I feel comfortable with, and that podcast would have been, how are you, and thanks for having me on. So I've got a few
0: projects on the go at the moment. And so I've been trying to get my head around how I can think about each of the projects. And the analogy, the metaphor, the working plan that I keep coming back to is that I have to look at it a little bit like the MCU, the MCW, if you will. Because I think that that is the only way that I can deal with them because they all involve different aspects of my personality different levels of seriousness different levels of like research and application and comedy and all these various things that I do as part of my job but they don't all need them In the same way, like I'm trying to do more stand up, but that needs me, particularly these improv shows, needs me 100% comedically, like so prepared and Mm -hmm. so ready to go and just like in the fucking moment doing that. But then I've got some other projects that are very much sit around in the office, slave over like, you know, the project sort of projects, like ones that you just need to do a lot of desk work and like so much research and so much reading and like engage your intellect at a level that is incredibly exhausting to be honest with you and then a bit like that with philosophy. like luckily we've got a bunch of philosophy episodes banked at the moment so I'm doing them a little less frequently because I don't think I could handle the seriousness of some of those conversations sometimes they do get quite mm-hmm. deep but this is fun like faux fop is fun I always feel like this is you know the most honest that you get so what are we then what part of faux fop are we um what part of the will anderson cinematic universe so it's i mean it's not the biggest show i think probably statistically like it does really well like i think these episodes i don't really look at the numbers but my kind of vibe on which ones do well or otherwise this would be in the top five easily of like you know people that i have on It might be higher than that. I don't know. But, like, it would at least easily be in that. I could lock that in. But it's probably not, like, the Dave Anthony ones are the most popular ones. Like, people, that has its own unique following. And, you know, those ones do, you know, proportionally better than anything else. There's, like, so it's not the biggest one either. So what does that mean in the Marvel Universe? Where does it place this in the Marvel Universe, do you think?
1: So are we going to be, are we looking at... It as a whole, or are we looking at it just as the movie side ah. of things? I know that seems like I'm splitting hairs. I'd kind of, I'd feel pretty comfortable being the Division of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So uh, I
0: haven't watched WandaVision, so you've got to explain to, oh. to me <laughs> what that means.
1: Well, it felt like it was recognisable. It felt like it still fitted within the greater continuity, but I felt like episode to episode, they took big swings and sometimes they pulled it off and sometimes even when they didn't pull it off, it was still entertaining. you know what? Not bad
0: because I would say that I think you are the guest that I have on this show where the episodes are more different each time. Like, you know, there's a sort of consistency to some of the other things where you're like, okay, well, this is what this is. I'm going to see like, you know, this style of movie... And then like, I know that I'm going to get kind of some different version of this style of the movie. But this, yeah, these ones are, they can be incredibly different from, from time to time. So yeah, I I like that. Um, I think that works well.
1: Yeah, I'm a complex human being. You don't know what facet of me you're going to get from podcasting. Yeah,
0: you don't know if it's going to be in black and white or what era it's going to be set in or like what sort of extreme detail it's going to go deep on or what like mood. There's no consistency in mood. Like, I mean, yeah, it's fair to say, like the Dave <laughs> Anthony ones, he's either like really angry or like angry. That's it.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's either really correct about the future or, or
0: positively yeah, correct. Exactly, <laughs> horrifyingly correct <laughs> about most things in such a devastating <laughs> way. Anyway, it's good times.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm a little bit like trying to watch a, a David Fincher oeuvre where you've gone. Oh, you know what? I really like Fight Club. Yeah. Oh, social network's quite uh, yeah. different. Oh, hang on a sec. What is mank? Yeah. No, that's it. <laughs> I like it. It's good. You're an auteur. You're a podcast I auteur. Am. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying it for years. <laughs> uh, well, then,
0: auteur, tell me this. What have you been up to? Because we... Who you know tend to speak as regularly as I speak to anybody, um, which is still mm. not that regularly by probably normal human standards. But in a general sense, like we you know keeping mm. good contact, and we've not been in much contact over the previous few weeks for a whole bunch of reasons. What have you been up to?
1: We uh, people might be mortified to know that sometimes we talk without recording so I probably
0: talk to you without recording it more than I talk to anybody else I could definitely lock that in yeah like I feel like there's value in conversations I have with you that don't need to be broadcast to everybody else which is I'm not thinking about that about a lot of other people
1: (laughs) I take that as a massive compliment thank you it's a giant compliment so there was Uh, So I know that once you kind of started the Melbourne Comedy Festival, I was like, okay, I'm just going to let you go down and have fun with that because that's such a full-on experience and that kind of coincided with this year has been insane in that, you know, New Year's Eve is just a number that we've all agreed on is the start of the year and It's a random number. And the thing is, is that it still kind of works. Like you get to New Year's Day and you go, New Year, let's do this. But this year it felt like we got to New Year's Day and everyone just said, you know what? I need another month. I'm still fucked. Last year was full on. I just need to ease into this. And by about the first week of February, I was a bit like, oh, I'm a bit surprised. I think this is going to be looking like it's a bit of a slow year. And then all within about two hours and three phone calls everything changed and I have literally not had a day off since the second week of Feb which is not a bad thing it's not a complaint but it is it's it's I'm right at the brim of all the different things that I can be working on oh
0: I had so many projects that seemed like they were really far away
1: that it turns out uh, yes really so (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, like, even I even had this thing where there was a corporate gig that I was booked for last year, which was the Australasian Supermarket oh, yeah. Awards. Don't mean to brag, had to give out 78 awards in four and a half hours. And they said, please don't dilly dally, it'll go over time. People will talk all the way through it. Guess what? Brought it in four hours and 15. Oh, yeah. Hammer. That. that was good. Um, but it was one of those things that kept getting uh, put off, put off, put off, put off. And they were very nice. They kept saying, we're going to keep you. We just don't know when it's going to happen. I mean, and they're the I one who on one- still
0: had money. I mean, supermarkets were doing fine during the yeah. pandemic.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of awards went out for best yeah. toilet paper display. <laughs> <Exactly. Yeah. laughs> but the... But it turned out in like the one kind of night I had off was exactly when the corporate gig dropped and it's all been really good in that sense but it's been full on. Probably the thing that will be the most entertaining for you is that I wrote the scripts for Dancing with the Stars and it was seven scripts in 18 days because they were trying to beat you know, any possible outbreaks of COVID. And it was one of the most fascinating experiences I've had.
0: Now, there might be some people who've just rewound 15 seconds like you can on most podcast apps to just check that they heard what they thought they heard. Because you actually said uh, that you wrote the scripts for the television phenomenon Dancing with the Stars, starring Sonia Kruger and... uh, the 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 one from Hey Hey Aussie Aussie Osborne
1: <laughs> yeah uh, like to be honest it would have been amazing if it was Aussie but <laughs> but they needed a writer and they said do you want to do this and I honestly thought yeah I do I want to work on something that is not in my wheelhouse and I want to see how it's made right. and absolutely. The, you know the. Why wouldn't you
0: say yes to that opportunity? I would say yes to that opportunity. Like, yeah. Particularly at the moment where I'm in the mood to say yes to more opportunities, like just various weird little things. Like, I'm actually a bit more open to that. If somebody came to me and said, "Hey, he's like a couple of weeks' work. We need to write like seven scripts for Dancing with the Stars. You'll get to sit in a dressing room with Daryl Summers and see what happens." Like, I reckon I'd be like, "How much do I owe you for this?"
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds awesome <laughs> yeah and it was it really was amazing uh i'll tell you what and- i did nothing with my two weeks that is anywhere near as good as just without you
0: even telling this story just what yeah. i'm imagining is going on i'm already just like well i wasted that fortnight didn't i <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was so full on. Uh, the The production team were fantastic. Uh, the woman who's in charge of it was brilliant, uh, loved working for her. It was full on because it was like I was writing the first two scripts while prepping the third and fourth and getting the skeleton for five, six, and seven organised, and I was creating them off past scripts and Excel spreadsheets while I was pulling them together. FYI, never seen an episode, but I was doing this... <laughs> pulling it all together, and it was really interesting. I met Chappelle Corby. That was fun, and she was nervous at one point about having to do a dance, and I just said to her, yeah, you know what? Like, you face real pressure. Like, who gives a fuck about this? This is just dancing. Yeah, <laughs> and you've been in like, oh, yeah. in
0: a foreign country. <laughs> like, should be fine, mate.
1: Mate, who, who gives a shit about what What's the judges think the worst think of-
0: thing that could happen? <laughs> I love that people like... I mean, regardless of what the fucking truth of what happened with Chappelle Corby, like, even if she was doing what she was accused of, she's well and truly fucking paid her price for that. Like, there's no fucking way that you can't say that, like, it shouldn't even be illegal to fucking have weed for a start. And then secondly, like, there would not be demand for those sort of things. And I don't know, maybe she didn't fucking do it, but regardless of what the truth of it is, she has paid the price of somebody who did it and therefore you get to have an opportunity to go on with the rest of your life after you've been through that sort of hardship. Like some people are like, oh, why is she saying yes to these things? She's like, why not? Yeah. Why not? Like fucking you're out of prison and somebody's yeah. going to give you a whole bunch of money to dance on TV. Why the fuck not? Like, like when other she was people in- who go on that show have shit to lose. She's got nothing to lose.
1: Nothing to lose. And imagine if you told her while she was, you know, in the middle of that awful sentence and having to deal with all of that. Imagine if someone had just sidled up to her and said, one day Daryl Summers will be interviewing you about your your pirouette. <laughs> she Darryl would have Summers. thought you were insane. Yeah, you know what you should be doing right
0: now? Dancing practice, because one day you're right. going to stand alongside Daryl Summers. Australia's greatest ever and most relevant entertainer. And he's going to ask you about your pirouette. So you better yeah. fucking know that pirouette, Chappelle Corby. It's weird. That, like Todd McKenney's in the prison cell, like, whispering <laughs> through the bars. <vast. laughs>
1: Don't underestimate the power of Todd. Uh, but the – it was <laughs> it was fascinating to work with Daryl, who I have to say one-on-one was a, a real professional. Um. And that's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's fair enough. But it was funny because he just has a really. It, when he found out I was a stand-up comedian,
0: yeah, Did he say, asked, "I'm a stand-up comedian. What do you do?" No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when I retell the story, that's how I'll tell it. But um, he he was absolutely flummoxed as to how. I'm able to do stand up in the present climate. And uh,
0: around um what you can say, because yeah. that that, that would yes. Yeah. So the, there was a con- bit of a controversy. I mean, in as much as if you consider older person can't quite deal with the fact that some of the things they did in their past are now absolutely politically incorrect. And like, you know I I get that. I think we both live in this world where we understand like I look, there's shit that I have on tape that is on the internet, that I have said, that I did on television shows, like jokes that I made, that at the time I thought were perfectly acceptable, but I would not do if I had my time over today. And I can't do anything about that other than come to that conclusion and do better going forward, right? Well, like,
1: but it was it was perfectly acceptable when you said it. Yeah, and, but times change. You can't feel bad for that, but you can learn from it as as you keep watching the way history progresses. I I think you can even feel bad about it. Like, I, I
0: like to think there's some stuff that I did that I do look back on and go, you know what, you could have been smarter than that. If you'd done a little bit more work, if you'd really, like, not stopped at that joke that you thought was the right joke and actually moved on to a better joke. Now, some of that is just what pushes you to hopefully get better as you keep doing this. That's actually... One of the great joys of being a comedian and it's why I find when these older comedians start to complain about this stuff and I hope I never become this person is that what I've loved about it is every time you acknowledge that you might have got something wrong, it actually opens up a great opportunity for what you get to do next. Yeah. Now I get to go away and do a show or reframe an idea or have a second go at like doing something or talking about the fact that I got something wrong in the first place they're all new things to be able to work with rather than sitting around complaining about the fact that you can't say what you used to say good I'm glad that I can't say what I used to say because that actually gives me imagine how boring I'd be if I was just saying the same shit that I said you know five years ago or ten years ago like some people would say you still fucking are and fair enough and wow that
1: internal critic's really on fire today (laughs) Wow, far out. <laughs> Tell him to get out. We're trying to do a podcast. <laughs> but it, well we, the thing is is that you you look back and there's there's so much that just doesn't work anymore. and if you're just aware of it and you kind of move with the times, and it's not to say that it's not difficult, like it is sometimes tricky. I sometimes look back at things that I'm not that happy with in comedy shows that I've done. and invariably, the mistake was not the joke but I think the mistake was I felt like I had to do a new show every year and I really didn't. And if I had my time over, you know, I wouldn't change really too much, but I would probably say, you know what, I reckon if you give this show another six months... It'll be tickety-boo. Well, but it's I, so you mentioned that I went to the Melbourne
0: Comedy Festival, which was amazing that it happened. What a actual fucking triumph for everybody involved and thank you to everybody who came out. Particularly so many people came out to see Will Eagle, which was a show that I did before in 2018, and um, there was a whole bunch of people who came back to see it again and there was a whole bunch of people who did not see it the first time it came out, and it was just really fantastic. But that show, like... And I think that most people who came to see it again got something, you know, really different out of it. Like, it, it's just so much better a show. And mm. I thought about that show a lot and did it a lot in the first place. But having yeah. a couple of years to just step back from it, to pick it apart, to put it back together again, to truly understand it, like... I understood the story that I was telling so much, even if there was bits that the audience wouldn't have like noticed necessarily, they would have noticed in the way that the story was told because just the story is a more honest, better, you know nuanced, you know put together, you know show than it was. And so of course, I think that you know we've been on this relentless sort of, you know, particularly because Australia's just not quite big enough a country that you can take a couple of years with a show. If you want to like be performing Mm. all the time, you realistically need to bring a new show to the festival every year. And then you just get trapped on this, like, you know, I mean, until the pandemic I'd done 25 years and what, 20, 24 years in a row. Right. Mm. Like I don't have to, like I could maybe do every second year or I could maybe do every third year or I could do like different stuff in between. I could do like, a new show and then my improv show and then like my new show. I don't know, like maybe change it up a bit and take some of the pressure off, but not just take the pressure off me, but also like make the show better when you actually do a show.
1: I actually think you did things the correct way. I think you were right in that uh, unfortunately Australia is a place and it's the way the markets have been set up you actually do have to do a show every year and you do actually have to not waver too much from your formula and that is not a bad thing but as things got more and more expensive and people you know are going out less and less and that the majority of people just want to go and feel comfortable about what they're going to get because they're spending a lot of money and they want to get something that they recognize as a vague whole, even if within it, it's completely different. the But I do wonder if we have shows that were good or, or even excellent that maybe could have been something special if we'd had just another three months, you I, know?
0: I think it's part of the reason that, like, people ask me all the time. Ronnie Chang asks me constantly. Um, why I don't have recorded versions of most of these shows. And there are recorded versions of them for archival purposes, like, you Mm. know, in some office at my management firm somewhere, you know, like, you know, there's probably 20 odd of the shows in there. Like, but I've only released two like DVD specials over that entire time. And I think part of it was down to the fact that I never really felt like I had the, I think to like put a special up, you'd want to do the show like a hundred times. And yeah. I was just at the point where I was never getting to do a show a hundred times. Like, you know, part of the reason that Nanette was such a success was, A, it's a fucking, you know, like it's a a once-in-a-generation show, but and a performer at the exact right moment in her career and the fact that, like, the world was also in that moment at the same time. But part of it, and I wouldn't write off how big a part of it was, that Hannah worked that show for a couple of years and did like two, I reckon she probably did 200 shows more, maybe more before she filmed mm. it. So when she yeah. filmed it, it was just perfect, you know? Yeah. And it, I, I get 200 shows in, in three years, like, you know, it's just, right. so the idea that you're going to like, I'd I'd rather people nip, like see it live and see it for what it was when it was live, but not to kind of, have it recorded and put out there unless I'm perfectly happy with what it is. And, you know, maybe that like, particularly in today's environment where like specials are so important to people's careers, like there's been a couple of opportunities I've had for major streaming networks that I've said no to that, you know, really for my career, I probably should have just said yes to just get shit up. But there's part of me that just feels like, Oh, I I just don't want to like record it unless I feel like it's, I think part of it is that I didn't really like the first one and that I did either. So the first one that I ever did, I, I, I have never watched back and I changed a lot about what I did about comedy after that fucking special. And then <laughs> I did a good one that you were involved in and then Thank I you. did another one that's not too bad that people seem to like and then that's 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 it. But, you know, maybe next time, maybe I'll, I will I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking it- about.
1: No, 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 I, I, I do. I'm right across it. The, uh, <laughs> I'm right here for you. But the also I think there is a... There's not quite enough rooms in Australia. So when you're running in material, you are often in environments that aren't necessarily conducive to actually exploring the idea in ways that you would like to explore them and especially if you are a little bit like me in the sense that i'm always wanting people to have a good time regardless of what i do within the show i'm always trying to fill in those gaps in the moment where someone's having a good time and i think sometimes you know, you get one trial show and that's usually (laughs) sometimes my trial shows I've looked at and thought, there it is. And then you do all the material in in clubs and, and, you know, the comedy store and, you know, really nice places like that. But then it just becomes this different type of creature and your show can sometimes get ahead of you. And then when you're hitting deadlines because, you know, you've written your title and you've come up with a blurb and then now you've got to open you end up with a with a different type of beast. And I wonder if that, I wonder a lot about if I'd say been somewhere in the UK where I'd been off in a slightly different left of centre genre, how I would have developed.
0: Uh, yeah, well, differently, definitely differently. Like, yeah. you know, I think Australia was very homogenous in its approach for a little while, but that's like, I don't think that that is unusual in an emerging industry, but like what comes, you know, is firstly, there is like a a sameness to what emerges, you know, like you mm. get Facebook and Twitter and all those sort of things kind of coming through at the same time, because that's, you zeitgeisty. That's what mm. happens, but then... It becomes, it goes from being Tinder to being Bumble to being Grindr to being like all these specialist things that are all off in their own worlds. And that is just like economies of scale. Like there's enough people then to specialize. In Australia, it's just been a hard thing to, for there to be enough people interested in what we do mm. to specialize. I mean, the age of the podcast and the internet has been one of those great ages for. There's these podcast charts and we do quite well for a little indie, you know, our little corner of the internet. We're not a big radio station or some big company or anything like that. We just make these dumb little things that exist in their own, you know, mini part of the universe. And the people who like them, like them. Does it really matter how many people listen to them? I don't think it does. Some of my favorite podcasts, I bet, don't have a whole bunch of listeners, but I love them. Like they're part Mm. of my week. I as a human being have my experience of being a human being enlightened and my load lightened by the fact that I have these people in my ears talking about like the comic book or that some movie that I like that they've done a three-hour dissection of or you know the fact that they're re-watching Lost and I loved Lost but I can't really bring myself to re-watch Lost because some of it is a bit slow when you're watching it when you know what's going to happen. And, but the <laughs> podcast of them talking about watching Lost is exactly what I need right now. Like, in the old world, it's four networks, you know, everything has to fit into this model of if it doesn't appeal to, you know, 40 million people in America or, like, um, you know, 2 million people in Australia, then it can't exist. But then we come to this age now where, you know, I mean, it's interesting when you've just worked with Daryl Summers. Daryl Summers is from that previous age, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was four men and they got to all be on TV regardless of the level of, you know, skill that they brought to the table. Some of them are geniuses and some of them less so. But people can make their own minds up about, you know, what order they want to, you know, put them in. Some
1: of them are geniuses and some of them think they're geniuses. (laughs) Yeah, they all (laughs) believe
0: that they're geniuses. Some of them are right.
1: (laughs) Some, but not all of them
0: are correct. Yeah. Um, But there wasn't really opportunities for anybody else, you know. Now there is. And that is a good thing. Like, it is a good thing that things are, you know... uh, And, yes, you kind of grew up in an era of Australian comedy where things were still a little bit for white men on TV.
1: Yeah. And I'm... You know, you kind of forget that the the late 80s and probably a lot of the 90s, there was there wasn't that uh, set of aesthetic criteria on what made a good comedy show. And it was a little bit like the Wild West where people were coming in left, right and centre with all sorts of ideas. And, and I held on to that as kind of, for me, what comedy was. It was never, it's one thing, it's all of these things. Yeah. And it, if if a comedy show has one joke and it's a killer... That's to me, as much fun as a show that has 150 jokes that are all great, you know. But uh, I feel like as things kind of progressed and, you know, money comes into it and it becomes successful, it becomes, from my perspective, homogenised. And I think it's really exciting now because you're seeing all these youngsters come through who... You know they have a different take on it like they actually look at the world of comedy as something that they can make a living out of and they are also coming through at a time where individuality is encouraged and different types of voices are being given a shot so i think there's a really interesting flavor in the australian comedy scene at the moment and i really enjoy that
0: uh absolutely it yeah i they and they're of their age and their mm. world you know they're speaking to that generation of people who are discovering comedy and becoming fans of comedy and they are also the comedians who are growing up through that generation i remember that like when people supported you know me and people that i knew like you know it was exciting and mm-hmm. it's exciting that it's happening to a whole new generation like the melbourne comedy festival I will say was just such a great year for, you know, that next generation or that sort of, you know, already there, but are now really cemented as being like, you know, a real huge part of the comedy community and the voices in the comedy community, man, like there were so many good shows by people Mm. who previously were either just on the radar or just like kind of stepping, like after having a year of their careers and lives put on hold so many people came back with the best work that they'd ever done. And it was just like, without wanting to be too political about the point, the not having the internationals at the festival mm. was the greatest thing that could have happened for Australian comedy. It was yeah. because these acts that would have got bumped out of that good slot or that gala spot or that review that runs in the first week of the festival in the major paper because that's the reality of the situation like it's weird because it's the melbourne comedy festival and it exists in melbourne but it represents australian comedy in a lot of ways even though there's other festivals in other cities it's still kind of the the showcase you know premiere australian comedy festival one of the best comedy festivals if not the best comedy festival in the entire world and so for years the festival itself uses like you know the some money to fly over international acts because they've flown them over, because they're investing in them as a festival. And this is just Mm. what people do. It's not, there's no grand conspiracy here or anything, but, and there was an argument definitely in the old days you could make that, we weren't seeing enough diversity in the Australian comedy scene like we're talking about and the idea of importing, hey, here's a you know comedian with a disability or whatever who's you know representing that, who's having a really successful career and it opens comedy up to people seeing themselves on stage, whether it was like headliner female comedians, people who weren't being represented as well in the Australian comedy scene. Totally get it, totally ex- understand why it exists. But because they fly them out and because they've got an investment in them as a festival, it means that they get the best slots in the best rooms it's a limited thing there is only Mm. a certain amount of best time slots and a certain amount of best rooms there is a interest in putting them on the gala which means that if there's someone on the gala it means that somebody else doesn't get that opportunity so suddenly maybe Luke Higgy doesn't get on or Nina Yama doesn't get on or Geraldine Hickey doesn't get that premier spot do that incredible like breakout set from the gala this year sell out every fucking show she did in the festival plus more win the best show in the festival award a lot of that maybe doesn't happen without with those internationals there clogging it up and I think there's got to be a conversation that happens on behalf of Australian comedy of how relevant the festival importing those comedians still is to the festival how helpful it is to the local comedy community because like what I nothing wrong with internationals coming out they definitely make the festival better I mean Daniel Sloss sold the most tickets at the festival Daniel Sloss was out Mm. but he was out with a promoter promoting his shows like come out have the festival help you with your visas like i'm so up for all that sort of stuff please if you want to come out open it up more don't make it just the big acts who get a festival slot give it more of a if you're an international comedian and you want to you know save like when we go to edinburgh we just have to save up some money and go over there and you know probably just lose that money but we want to go over and do the festival you know, why can't we do that and then give the opportunity to this emerging generation of Australian comedy talent, which clearly is here and there are so many of them that I'm not sure that we need to import people to make it harder for them. I think that we're at the point now where that is not... Why would we, as a festival in a city like Melbourne and the the people who go and see comedy in Melbourne... Like, it's comedy all year round, by the way, now. Internationals mm. come out all the time. Like, you know, mm. you're more likely to see Dar O'Brien or whoever or, you know, Dylan Moran or any of these people who all tour Australia and all do these big sold-out shows, Burt Kreischer, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many, like, comedians now who have the following in Australia who can just come out and play Hamer Hall or whatever, you know, play the M or whenever the fuck they like to do that, right? Or they come out and they play The Rooms. I just... Yeah. Anyway, I don't mean to be like I mean, the festival's been great to me and I don't want to start any major shit, but I just think on behalf of the next generation of Australian comedians, why would we put be putting Roblox in their way where instead we could celebrate just how great they are and see what they do next? Because they're all at that stage now where like they're gonna get start doing things, like projects, like shows and things and well they are already are, you know, Auntie Donna and all these guys yeah. are like They're already making stuff like worldwide sensational stuff and new shows and spin-off shows and web series and, like, they have their own shit going on. Like, let's encourage that. Let's put all our resources and all our support and all our enthusiasm as an audience behind this, like, next generation of, like, comedy. And I would like them to all to remember how nice I was about this (laughs) when I'm looking for opportunities as an old man.
1: (laughs) I guarantee they won't. They'll no. have moved on. And, uh, Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> the uh, I think it should be like the NBL. When the NBL started, we didn't have enough basketballers here. Yeah. And we you, you're allowed to have two imports per team, and that helped raise the tide and then there was the generation where we had the Andrew Gazes and the Andrew Vlahovs and we were coming forth at the Olympics and it was like, oh okay, well we've arrived now and that feels like where the Australian comedy scene appears to be uh, and it is exciting. On on the other hand I have no urge to travel to Melbourne anytime soon I have uh, it was really funny to have literally no sense of FOMO the whole time it was on. Maybe because I had a whole handful of Daryl. So maybe (laughs) (laughs) that's what evened it out. (laughs) You had fear of missing (laughs) Daryl. Yeah. (laughs) But it was was fun to look at. It was funny. You know, I had an idea for a show uh, just a couple of days ago and and I wrote it all down. Then my first thought was, oh, why ruin it? by doing it as a show I should do it as something else (laughs) so that's kind of where my head's at at the moment but I I think there's an
0: argument to be made for that I mean well there's actually every argument to be made for that there's so many compelling arguments to be made
1: (laughs) but you know there was funny it was something that I realized uh about myself which was um last year I had I think I may have told you about this but I had a zoom catch up in the middle of everyone's quarantine with a bunch of people yeah you have, I really... you have
0: told this story on the show on here yeah previously on Spotify.
1: yeah previously and i kind of realized that my ability to move on uh, was developed at a very young age because i went to croydon primary school in adelaide and then went, once i got to grade seven i went i went to woodville high and all my friends went to croydon high and so I've, i learned very <laughs> early on that it's how to oh well i'm here now and yeah. I had a really good time with those people, but now I've got to m- meet all these people. And I've got to find my way over here, and I'm just pretty entrenched in in the Sydney lifestyle now and uh, the, the friends that I have here. I mean, that's well, yeah. well, that's
0: kind of life as well, isn't it? Like, if you not for have...
1: everybody. Well, yeah, there's a I lot of people know. who are still there, and those people, I'm wrapped for them. But it makes me feel anxious,
0: I know, but I think even the people who are there are differently there to how they were there previously. like I'm not sure that's always the case, but I think there is in general <laughs> some yeah. sort of I think everyone hopefully has relaxed a little bit. Do you reckon I don't know <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> I'm the least qualified. I'm not. I'm not anywhere near it. Yeah. Like I'm, like I say, from thousands of kilometers away from any comedy. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> literally taking
0: myself as far away from comedy as I could possibly be.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's been a. It's been a pretty interesting year, but it's. It, it is exciting. I, it's nice to. I was rapt to hear about Geraldine. It was a really exciting thing because the the great lesson about Hickey is that she has been a slow and continual burn as she has over the years just slowly chipped away at what she does and how she does it and she's been funny for a very long time and in the last six or seven years, it's just been every time I saw her, it was a little bit more defined, just a little bit more. And to hear her win the best show this year was exciting because it's like, oh, man, she must have nailed it, you know? Well,
0: it was the perfect result for the city, firstly. Again, what if an international had fucking rolled into town and spoiled that fucking thing? Like Melbourne, yeah, she's yeah. a Melbourne person, you know? She does triple yeah. R Breakfast. Like, it's yeah. such an iconic Melbourne, you know, like station, like... I'm a lifetime subscriber to to Triple R because the first time that any of my comedy was ever played any anywhere was on Dave Taranto's cheese Shop show on Triple yeah, right. R, and they're like it was so important and so encouraging and so special to me. Like it's it's such a great place. She's the breakfast host, well, one of like the breakfast team on there, and um, she has been doing these incredible shows, like you said, progressively. She got nominated, you know, last time they had the festival, she got nominated for the award. But I'm so pleased. I, I, think, I think I'll say this and people can take it as they want to take it. But I'm glad her show was the best show in the festival because I suspect she might have won it anyway, just because right. in a time like that where it might have been hard to separate the rest of the other shows, you might have just gone, well, she's earned it rather yeah. than this is the best show in the festival. But as far as I could tell, it was the best show in the festival as well. So it was just great that she won the award and got the recognition at the exact point where she was absolutely unreservedly deserving of it. Like, you know, because people would have loved that she won anyway. But yeah. but she also won.
1: <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, like right. You, you know, the, the big eye-opener for me was the year that Lee Mack won. And uh, I'd spent a little bit of time with Lee and I I, I congratulated him on it. <laughs> and he was so funny. He just turned around and he said, well, I bloody well should have won it. I've been doing this show for seven years. Right. And I was like, seven years? I've been doing my show for two and a half months. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. It's unfair. You're importing people who are
0: more ready because they come out less regularly. So they probably are doing the best of the last two years or something like that anyway. Or at right. least they've done the show since Edinburgh. So they've got like... Like, you're literally importing out... Now, again, there's no rules about when you can start writing your show in Australia, but the festival lives in the Australian comedy environment. They understand how it mostly works for most people. You know, you you get the shows up for the festivals at the start of the year. It makes sense. Like, mm. anyone just looking at that can go, well, this is most of the comedians' model is going to be running the show through these festivals and then doing a bit more touring and then getting rid of the show and, you know, putting together a new show so like why import people who are at a different stage of that process (laughs) to compete against the people that you're meant to be supporting yeah so and again i have no vested interest in this because it makes no difference at my point of like the market right like this is generally about the people who are in that good 150, 200 seat venue, who've got even the little fact that there was so much industry. Like I had so many industry people say to me, oh, we went and saw Luke Heggie's show. It was like amazing. Did you know Luke Heggie was amazing? And I was like, yeah. Do you remember two years ago when I told you his show was my Uh, favorite show of the entire festival?
1: Mate, Heggie is my new fuck everyone in Melbourne guy because I shared a venue with him a few years ago and I watched his show like a number of times afterwards and I was a big fan of Luke and I would say it to them down there and they would just look at me as if to say, whatevs, no big oops. And the amount of people who have said, Hey, I saw Luke Heggy, he's really good. And you know what? I've turned on Heggy. Fuck Heggy. I'm I'm done with him. I don't want to know. I liked his old stuff. I liked him before he sold out. He would respect that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> It's always my favourite thing when I talk about someone that I really like and then two years later someone tells me, you know, the person I told explains to me why they're really good and you go, hmm, yeah, hmm.
0: Yeah, he's been good for ages, but ages. again, he, people got to discover that he was good because yes. he hadn't been elbowed out of the way in the same way as you say to people and they go, Oh yeah, good, yeah, whatever, like that's how festival rooms get booked and stuff like that is people mm. are choosing between the international they've imported or Luke Heggie, and they just haven't realized how good he is yet. So yeah. he's like off Broadway for a few years when he's already doing like sensational shows. Like, yeah, good that you caught up with it, but you know what you need now? A time machine to go back a fucking few years and see all the good shows you did
1: previously. Like there's heaps of them. Yeah. Like heaps. Um, Look, one thing I need to point out is anyone who, for some bizarre reason, in a Venn diagram, listens to this podcast and watches Dancing with the Stars, I just need to put it out there right now. Daryl didn't use any of my jokes. What? <laughs> he didn't use any of them. Any of them? He had his own rider. And so everything else that, you know, was really funny on the show was stuff that I'd worked on with... Um, Sonia Kruger and Sonia and I got along like a house on fire uh well she
0: was from what I can tell because I have not seen it yet but uh, from what I saw like people seem to think she was the star of the show
1: yeah she was on fire and she has a real devil in the eye kind of look and very early on I made a joke in her you know when you're testing someone trying to work out what the parameters are with a mm-hmm. with a new kind of person that you're working with and i threw a joke in her direction and in this meeting she looked up and made eye contact with me and she knew exactly what i was saying and she <laughs> whispered in my direction fuck you and i was like yep she got that and then from that moment on we were on the same wavelength and dropping in jokes left right and center but uh, daryl had his own writer so if you were watching it and you you heard him say, ah, oh, Chris Hemsworth. Whatever happened to Chris Hemsworth? I hear he's in a Marvel movie. What Marvel movie is it? And everyone yells out Thor and he says, I bet he was pretty Thor after doing Dancing with the Stars. Not mine. And not delivered that well either. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I wasn't going to probe for
0: information, but seeing you brought it up. Um, <laughs> What I enjoy the most about that joke is even though I haven't seen the show, I'm aware of the joke because you sent me a message.
1: Where you <laughs> I, thought were like, we were, I thought we were going to do theatre of the mind here, but let's just be honest. I well, sent you a text you, message you sent me after a text it happened
0: and described the scenario and then said, and, What joke did he make? And, and you really got inside the mind of Daryl.
1: <laughs> yeah. Stuck a foot in, nailed the joke, took the foot out. You know, it was funny because when, when he dropped that joke and it uh, went as well as you'd expect, one of the producers was behind me. You know when you can feel someone looming over your shoulder and I turned around and looked at him and he said, do you feel bad that your name's in the credits? I said, mate, no one reads the fucking credits. I'll be fine. I mean, nobody does
0: read the credits. But also, nobody. I love the fact that you've just put on the record that Daryl had his own writer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> just for the record. If anybody
0: mate. does want to know, Daryl did have his own writer.
1: Uh, you know, we all have our ego, and uh, sometimes you just need to protect it. I mean, that's okay. I mean,
0: why not? Like, it's good that he knows that he. Yeah, he, yeah, right, that, that's that's fine. You're to, did you, have a writer.
1: Did you know that Sonia dropped a not Manu? comment
0: no so i uh, well i saw some online activity around the fact that it had happened but i i did not know the context so can you explain to me
1: oh look she just dropped uh, like uh, you know having an interview with him on the final episode right. and and she just kind of dropped uh, you know it's manu it's not not manu kind of thing oh, and okay right so yeah, she didn't yeah. go full not manu she didn't go, she didn't go-
0: where's your old mate not manu <laughs>
1: Yeah, but she did send me uh, a text message after making it all in caps that just read, not Manu. And then I got to have my photo taken with him. And I had to sit on that photo for two weeks because he was in the finale and I didn't want to give anything away. So I had to sit on that photo that was burning a hole in, in my pocket and uh, wait till the finale so I could put it up, who was delightful. By the way, people have said to me, did you did you tell him the not Manu thing? And it's like, no, because he's there doing something else. And, you know, there's there's a level of professionalism, do you know what I mean, to bring something up like that? Like, I'll talk about it on the podcast and talk about it everywhere else and on stage. But in the one-on-one moment, he's th- just having his photo I think taken. there's a
0: lot of the time when, like, it's like when somebody is shit-talking me on the internet or something, but they've... Yep. At least add the courtesy to not tag me into it, right? Oh yeah. And then some somebody decides that they need to tag me in so that I can see it. Look, I know it's gonna happen. If you know, I mean that's just the way of the world. Like people don't like you, it's fine. Like but I just don't need to see it. Like, you know so I'm can we just have the agreement? Just don't show me. Yeah. And like it, it's the various, I, I speak about this as, as if this happens all the time, but it's like happened twice and it scarred me so much that I constantly bring it up. So I need to point <laughs> out that literally it's only happened twice. This is not yeah. indicative, but it's like a lesson learned, a lesson burned. So, twice when I have like gone, like been flicking through reviews of like things, I've eventually stumbled on some bad review that stuck with me for ages. And Ugh. the thing that I don't normally read those things and go through the comments and any any of those sort of things. And so on the rare occasion that I do, I eventually have to have the conversation with myself where I say, well, if you just hadn't gone looking for this, because you don't care that it's out there, you understand that, that you, that it's out there and you're just happy to live your life without it. Like, you know, intruding on your life. The only times it really does. Most of the time people don't send stuff to you directly anymore, which is nice. <laughs> I prefer it that way. Um, The only time you ever see something bad is when you're looking for something good, right? (laughs) So if I hadn't gone looking for the good thing in the first place, then I wouldn't have – and the good wasn't worth the bad. Right. I'm fine with the life I have without the good. The bad's going to stay with me. So, like, I've I've been posting a bit more, like, just articles that I'm interested in or whatever on, like, you know, Twitter or Facebook, you know, trying to just, you know, like – use those platforms to elevate other people's voices and perspectives and those sort of things if I find them interesting but I'm not going to read the comments if you're commenting underneath them if you have some argument to make like whatever okay like I don't care like I mean it's not even that I don't care I just don't have the time to care right now I'm sorry this was all I had if it's too much just ignore it or block it or just make it go away. But this was my contribution. It's all it's going to be. I will not be checking back in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a slippery slope, the accidental negative thing that you find about yourself. And then it takes a lot of willpower, 1L, in the moment to make certain that you don't follow it all the way through because yeah, there's well, curiosity. Yeah, like, there's, yeah. it's just a natural curiosity to, oh, hang on, maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> but also,
0: like, then you start, like, I mean, I, I've got a specific example in mind, right? So, I, I had Judith Lucy back on Philosophy recently. The episodes right. with Judith are really popular like yep. people really enjoy those ones and they have a lot of downloads and I love talking to Jude and there's no one that I have more respect for you know so it's just it's always fun times but they're certainly conversations they're not interviews because Judith and I are friends and because of Judith's nature she likes to ask a lot of questions like mm. and so I could shut that down and sometimes I do playfully or try to turn it back on her or whatever but Like, I think with the Judith episode, she's more engaged if we're having a conversation where I'm offering some stuff, then she offers some stuff in return. Like, it's much more like that. And often you can learn from what she's curious about as much as, like, you can learn from hearing an answer that she's given a million times on some other topics she's not as engaged in. and yeah. So I made that choice and I like it. It just makes its own choice really in the show. You know, you just listen for what she's interested in and that was what she was interested in. And this comment was like <laughs> negative about the fact that I'd spoken too much and, you know, whatever. And I knew, I und- here's the, whole, the worst thing about it. I get that. It's a different episode, right? So people can have reactions to different styled episodes than previous episodes. But I had made that choice and I was comfortable with that choice. So really it was just a disagreement between like me, the creator of the show and what I wanted to do with that episode, and her the consumer of the show who didn't like what I did with that episode. I thought about that for (laughs) fucking weeks. Do you mean like the time I wasted? (laughs) <laughs> like having imaginary arguments with the like, just like, actually, this is why, why the podcast is actually good, you know. It's very different to like... <laughs> <laughs> fucking, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, just life wasted.
1: Oh, mate. You know, I, uh, I can't go into it exactly, but the, I found out that a certain person in the industry who works behind the scenes had kind of been demoted from their job and I was really bummed out because I had fantasised so much about giving them the news in a work situation and I heard that they'd been demoted and there was a little part of me that was like, well, that's that's months of prep for this moment that was probably never going to arise, that is now never going to arise and I'm furious. Reinstated.
0: I mean... That would be lovely <laughs> if in like a termination agreement in some sort of contract. They were like, yeah. We need you to leave. We want to negotiate yeah. a payout. Yeah, here's like we'd like you to sign a non disclosure agreement or whatever, you know, like about like blah blah blah. Whatever it is, you know. Um I I found it weird when I finished up at commercial radio a couple of years ago that they didn't at the end go like by the way, please don't talk about anything because I was like, there's heaps of shit I could be talking about. Right,
1: yeah. Like, <laughs> like heaps.
0: Why are you trusting me? I might get yep.
1: desperate enough that I roll out one of these. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got heaps of podcasts that I need to fill. I've got the whole Will Cinematic yeah, Universe. I'm talking
0: all the fucking time and I don't have a great track record for keeping confidential information to myself. I'm surprised that you've trusted me this much. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, what was the point of that fucking rant?
1: Oh, just, but just thinking about, you know, the dumb things that you don't need to think about. Like I'd, I, I read a story about how Bill Murray, when he was making, uh, what about Bob had, did not get along well with Richard Dreyfuss, who is a notoriously prickly person to get along with in, in Hollywood at the time. And he, he supposedly yelled at, uh, Dreyfus at one point nobody likes you and at best they tolerate you <laughs> and i thought that was such a great uh and and destructive put down i had
0: put I'm, that in the back pocket i'm glad that you have told that story because it's reminded me of the point i was trying to make before i got distracted yeah. um which was that it'd be great if in your termination contract you could argue you could just say at any stage if you ever have to demote this person I reserve the legal right to come in and do it in person. That would be a great parting gift from an organisation. Whoever it was who screwed you over, if they ever get fired or demoted or laid off or whatever, you're the one who gets to deliver the news.
1: We're going to give you... He's going to get the payout. Yeah. Everything's fine. But he gets a type 15 from you in front of a live captive audience.
0: Oh. I didn't even think in front of a live audience. Are we inviting yeah. people
1: or are you just coming into the office randomly?
0: Is this Mate,
1: no I'm coming in randomly and At I'm his coming goodbye in hard. party.
0: No, I oh, know, because you, no, you're breaking the
1: news. At someone else's yeah. goodbye yeah. party. At every <laughs> goodbye party, they
0: announce <laughs> the next person who speaks out. Coming,
1: Yeah, as soon as I'm seen, people start to get a bit nervous. Oh, Jesus. Because well, they introduce a guest speaker each time, obviously, who <laughs> yeah. gets to lay each
0: one off. And every time the speaker walks out on stage, someone in the crowd feels very fucking
1: nervous. <laughs> oh no, it's Hammo, I'm fucked <laughs> I'd be totally into that
0: Yeah, that's a good idea um, Hey, uh, thank you very much for doing the show today We're going to keep it tight because uh, I, um, well, I mean, you know, it's an hour I guess, is <laughs> that tight? That's, that's, tight, that's tight Yeah, that's good That's good, yeah Yeah. It's like a WandaVision uh, episode is yeah, it an, absolutely was it an hour or half an hour?
1: Uh, some episodes were like 38 minutes. Some episodes were a bit longer. Some episodes were a bit shorter. The great uh, well, like great thing podcast, about streaming. Right? Yeah. Right. Right. Sometimes you get the mega ones. Sometimes you get the nice and tidy ones. Fucking nailed it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Hey, uh, people can um, uh, listen to your podcast, uh, Big Squid. Now, how was the live event you did where everybody was doing comedy around can we still like this?
1: Yeah, it was a really fun event. The the topic, as you said, was uh, can we still enjoy this? And I just got uh, up at the start and said, hey, this isn't a debate. You can still enjoy it, but just some stuff is a bit harder to enjoy, you know, and it just depends on your mileage. And one of the things that I discovered in getting prepped for this show was why do we take it on board when people are getting cancelled? Even if we agree with them being cancelled, why do we take it on board? And I think for me it came down to when people tell you you can't like someone anymore, invariably you probably agree with them, but the fact remains uh, to cancel a person that you've watched or listened or experienced their art for a long time is to then negate... part of your personal history and i think you kind of need to let people get to that point on their own and that's uh and we talked about all sorts of things from authors to musicians to uh movie makers etc and then i also just realized i've put a fucking flag in the ground and there is some people that you could tell me the worst things in the world and i'm not going to flinch. Like if you showed me a picture of David Bowie sitting in a throne made out of ivory with slaves holding blood diamonds, giving him a manicure while he's eating a panda, my first reaction is going to be, I wonder how he cooked the panda. I don't care. I am standing by (laughs) that guy. I'm in. So there's something very funny about just going, "Nope, flag is here. Nothing can happen. I'm in all the way. And it was a really fun night. Tom Gleason came out. Tom Gleason, of course, uh, was speaking about his love of Alex Shooter Williamson, wasn't he? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big fan. <laughs> Big fan. Uh, but, you know, we had Rove uh, showing us how he reads. Enid Blyton books to his daughter by taking out all the parts that are problematic. Uh, Alice Fraser talked about some uh, problematic authors. Uh, Ben Irwood told a really funny personal story. It was just a really fun and uh, interesting live experience. So that's going to be coming up soon and we're coming to the end of our... I think we've only got two more movies in our Sophia Coppola movie marathon, which has been fantastic. I don't know if you've watched many sophia's movies but i reckon she is one of the most underrated funny directors of the modern era and i have loved watching some of these movies for the very first time
0: i um probably need to i've I've watched a few but i haven't watched uh... yeah I haven't certainly watched all of them. Um, well, that sounds very interesting, Justin. Thank you so much for uh, doing this today. I am um, f- sorry if I feel like I'm wrapping up quickly, but I have to talk to our uh, guest, Justin Charlie Clausen, for our other podcast, TOEFOP. So
1: what? <laughs> I know. You're seeing other Justins behind oh, my no. back.
0: Well, yes, right. I did say uh, to Amy before. I was like, I, "She goes, what are you doing?" And I said, "Justin into Charlie," and she went, "Ooh." <laughs> <laughs> That sounds pretty handsome to me. <laughs> uh, thanks, man.